So Luke chapter 1. Appreciate Geraldine's testimony as well. Thank you, sister, for that. And it's always great to be reminded of the power of the gospel uh, when people share their stories. It always reminds me of just that. And so let's start to read this powerful gospel here as recorded by Luke through the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1 and verse 1 it reads, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Verse 2, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Uh, As the title of this uh, letter is obviously uh, given to us uh, as Luke, uh, the I here uh, in the first four verses uh, is historically believed to be uh, Luke. Uh, what do we know about uh, the author of this book? Well, we know quite a bit um, from the uh, New Testament. Uh, he's referred to uh, three times uh, by someone else and, and one time indirectly uh, in, his, in his other uh, book that he wrote uh, that we have in the New Testament canon, which is uh, the book of Acts. Uh, in Colossians 4, uh, verse 14, uh, Paul refers to him. He says, our dear friend Luke, and he actually tells us his occupation, the doctor, and Demas, he sends... Uh, send their greetings in Colossians 4.14. Again, Luke shows up in Paul's writings in Philemon, chapter 1, verses 23 to 24. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Again, Luke shows up in Paul's writings in 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 through 11. He says, Do your best to Timothy to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. And has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. And Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Uh, and then Luke uh, indirectly refers to himself in his other volume that he wrote. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he also wrote the book of Acts. The two volume set. Um, and in Acts 16 verse 10 he says. After Paul had seen the vision. Referring to the vision of a man from Macedonia. Uh, Luke says, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. There he inserts himself into the book of Acts, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so, you know, we learn a few things about Luke from these verses. First of all, as already has been stated in the first scripture we read, that he is a physician. Uh, Paul refers to him as a fellow worker. And so over and over we know Luke accompanied Paul on many of his, um, many of his missionary journeys. Uh, and Paul refers to him as a dear friend in Colossians 4, which I, I love, I love, I love that, that, that image that Paul had and that feeling that he had uh, about Luke, that he was indeed a dear friend. Um, we believe historically Luke was a Gentile. Uh, he was perhaps from Antioch. Uh, the, the book of Acts gives us a lot of insight, and it's the only part of the New Testament that gives us a lot of insight on the church in Antioch, uh, starting in chapter 11. And, and we think perhaps that's because Luke maybe was from uh, that particular city. Uh, we also believe it could be from Troas because the we in, in Acts 16 uh, starts actually in Troas on, the, on the, uh, the, the, the west coast there of Turkey as they are now to cross the Aegean Sea and head into the first planting in Europe, which would be in Macedonia. Uh, we just finished, of course, the book of Philippians. That's where they planted that church uh, there in uh, modern Greece. Um, it's also possible that Luke was from Philippi. Uh, Paul has this vision of a man from Macedonia after hanging out with Luke. Uh, and then we know that after Paul leaves Philippi uh, and heads down to Thessalonica, that uh, Luke goes back from we to they. And so we, we think that Luke stayed 
there in Philippi after they planted the church there. Um, so we're not sure where he's from, but we're quite confident that he was a Gentile. Um, and so there are many little attributes about Luke that will come out uh, in his writings here as we go through them. Uh, but I love that, that idea in Colossians 4 uh, there that, that he was a dear friend of Paul. And, you know, we all have different friendships. And, and personally for me, I think it would have been very difficult to be a dear friend of the Apostle Paul. Not because he was a bad guy in any way, he's a great guy, but could you imagine being by this guy's side? Going from city to city, persecution after persecution, and yet Luke was that faithful friend to the very end. And Paul notes that about uh, Luke, you know. And, and, and Luke's heart for Paul and the, the gospel are very inspiring. Luke blessed Paul, and I think Paul blessed Luke. And the gospel here that we're going to read uh, is a part of that. Um, so that's just a little biblical background on Luke. I think he is a highly commendable person uh, in his example that we read about uh, just in the scriptures. And his gospel uh, is tremendous. Uh, a little bit of background on this gospel we'll look at today and then just a few thoughts um, to get us ready to study the gospel of Luke uh, together. Uh, the first thing that stands out about uh, the, the book here is that it's a beautiful book. Um, it's quite interesting. Many biblical scholars call Luke's gospel the most beautiful book in the world. Uh, and they refer to the, the fresh and creative writing uh, that, that you'll get as you read through it. Uh, and, and what's interesting, you see the word painter there uh, with a question mark. Um, church, uh, church history, uh, not really written down in scripture, uh, says uh, tradition that perhaps Luke was a painter. Uh, and there's actually a few churches uh, in India and Spain primarily who actually claim to have original Lukes to this day. And those original Lukes are, are paintings of uh, the Virgin Mary. Uh, and, and it's interesting, Luke, Luke gives us the most information. He gives us the most information uh, about Mary as a mother. And he, has, he spends a lot of his first few chapters on Mary. So if Luke was a painter, he probably may have painted a picture um, of Mary. But again, that's just more legend uh, than fact uh, as far as we know. But whether he was a painter or not, he has written a beautiful masterpiece for sure. Uh, and scholars all agree on that point uh, at the very least. Um, it contains some of the finest Greek in all the New Testament uh, many Greek scholars believe it's the finest version of Greek in the New Testament. And he actually has 266 unique Greek words that he uses in, that are not used in any other part of the New Testament in his particular uh, gospel. And so uh, as I was preparing to, to preach this, I, I, in about a day I read through the whole gospel of Luke, all 24 chapters. And I tell you what, you know, in my mind I was kind of intimidated, like, oh, I got a lot going on the next day, but I want to get this done. So I set aside some time. This is before I was sick. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I was feeling a little bit burdened by trying to, because I gave myself a, de- a deadline, right, to finish it. And, uh, but the more I dove into it, the more I was just so compelled and intrigued to, to understand who Jesus was and to really think about who this man, you know, uh, was and what he brought to the world at that time. And it was just so compelling. It just, it just pulled me in closer and closer as I read through it. And so I experienced a little bit of that myself. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you really want to get a lot out of our study of Luke, to do the same. To read through the Gospel of Luke. Don't give yourself a 24-hour deadline. It might stress you out. Uh, but I encourage the church to really read through it because I think you'll see a lot of that beauty come out. Uh, and then as we revisit it, as we pre- preach and study through it together, uh, hopefully you too will be impressed by its beauty. Uh, the size of the book is also something to note. Um, God, through the Holy Spirit, entrusted to Luke uh, writing more of the New Testament than any other writer. Uh, we're not sure that Paul wrote Hebrews. Uh, some think people think he did, some people think he didn't. Uh, but if it's not clear that Paul wrote Hebrews, then Luke actually penned more of the New Testament uh, than any other writer. Uh, his Luke and Acts volume uh, adds up to 2,157 verses. 
Uh, Paul's letters, um, if you exclude Hebrews, only come up to 2032. And so Luke wrote 125 more verses of the New Testament than did Paul. Uh, and so, so the weight of the Gospel of Luke and Acts are huge in the New Testament picture uh, of what we have of Jesus uh, and the church. Um, and so it's, it's exciting to think about the, the beauty uh, and the size of the book. And, uh, you know, new movies uh, come out. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, The Fantastic Beast came out and everyone's excited about that. Who likes Harry Potter and things. And all of our, our students were WhatsApping like 6,000 times getting ready to go see it and buying tickets. That's why I know more about it. And, uh, uh, you know, when new movies come out, people, they, they pre-buy the tickets. People actually show up at midnight, right, to watch the movie because that's the day it comes out. We, we, we get so excited, you know, and, and, and when the trailers come out, we, we share it on Facebook and we show each other the trailer. I know coming up is the next Star Wars, I think, Star Wars 29 or something, right? It's coming up in December, and, and, there, and I'm sure there's going to be a buzz, you know, once it comes out. And, 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 but but here, here in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we have the trailer of the greatest story ever told. It's the preview of, of what we're going to get. So we, we need to pay attention. We need to get excited. Uh, we need to understand we're about to embark and dive into the greatest story ever told, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so it's important for us to, to grasp uh, the beauty uh, and, just, and just the magnitude of the gospel of Luke here as we start to study it together. Um, so today is a little bit of a trailer. Hopefully you're more excited now. Uh, you know, the book's intent... Uh, you know, there's a few big themes, certainly, that stand out uh, in the Gospel of Luke that we'll, we'll probably hear a lot about um, as we uh, study through it. Uh, first off, it's, it's known as a Gospel of Prayer. Almost all of the big moments of Jesus' life, Luke records him praying uh, before, during, or after. Um, at his baptism, in Luke 3.21, he prays uh, when he receives John's baptism. Before and after, he deals with growing popularity. In chapter 5, verse 16, he prays. Uh, before he chooses the 12, in chapter 6, verse 12. Before he asks his disciples who he was and told them of his impending death, in chapter 9, verse 18. At the transfiguration, when he encounters Moses and Elijah, in chapter 9, verse 29. Upon the cross, he prays, and Luke records, in chapter 23, uh, verse 46. Uh, and only Luke tells us that Jesus prayed for Peter in his hour of testing, according to Luke 23, uh, verse 32. And Luke uniquely gives us uh, prayers on, uh, parables on prayer, right? The friend at midnight, the unjust judge, which we'll look at uh, as we go through it. And I think this is great for us. In an age of self-reliance and humanism, uh, Luke's Gospels are a great reminder uh, of prayer being a way of life. Prayer being a way forward. Prayer being a source of strength always. And when I first moved to Birmingham three months or so ago now, uh, you know, I remember saying to the church, we need to be praying together. We need to be all about prayer. And you said, amen, we agree with that and we pray together a lot. But, but as time goes on, it's easy, right? Uh, prayer is not the, the, the next, next good idea or fad. Prayer is essential. Jesus, you know, he, he had an essential prayer life. And Luke's gospel hopefully will inspire us to do the same. Uh, it's a gospel about prayer. Uh, it's also considered a gospel for all. It's considered a gospel for all. Uh, Luke's gospel clearly displays a, a universal hope, a one-size-fits-all for humanity, if you will, in Jesus. Uh, in Palestine, at the time when Jesus arrives, uh, sadly, uh, God's people in many ways had lost the concept that God would use the Jews to save all mankind. And it was common for a Jewish man in Jesus' day traditionally pray every morning and thank God that he was not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. 
That was part of a part of an orthodox prayer in the first century. Sadly. But Luke's gospel clearly shows that's not the heart of God at all. Uh, Luke's gospel shows quite you know quite the opposite. Luke's gospel emphasizes salvation for the Gentiles. Uh, the non-Jews. Uh, it's written, as we just read in chapter 1, verse 3, to a man named Theophilus. Uh, that's, that's a Greek phrase for um, a f- you know, friend of God. Perhaps was this brother's baptismal name. Uh, that, that's one theory. Uh, perhaps it was just his real Greek name. Um, and he's likely a Roman official because uh, Luke refers to him here in verse 3 as most excellent Theophilus. Uh, that was an address that you would only give to a Roman official. Paul does it with Agrippa. Uh, in chapter uh, 20, uh, in Festus, I'm sorry, Festus and Felix in chapter 26. Uh, and so it's likely that this was written to a Gentile. Uh, Luke dates uh, many of the significant events in Jesus' early life uh, with Roman emperors and governors, uh, which would have been more of a Gentile mindset. And what's interesting is his lineage, uh, it goes all the way back to Adam. We'll look at that in chapter 3. Matthew's, Matthew's gospel goes back to who? In the lineage of Jesus. It goes back to Abraham. It's a gospel with a, with a Jewish emphasis, but, but Luke's gospel goes, goes all the way back to Adam, and it says the Son of God. In other words, all humanity right, can be traced uh, back uh, to this origin with God. And so uh, it, it's, it's a gospel that really emphasizes salvation is not just for the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Jesus offends the Jews a lot. A lot in the Gospel of Luke uh, by promoting, uh, you know, the Gentiles being saved and, and, and showing that if the Jews don't believe in the end, they won't be saved. And we'll read a lot of, a lot of that tension. Um, and a lot of uh, Gentile uh, uh, widows and officials, you know, are, are healed and those types of things all throughout Luke's Gospel, which we will uh, get to see ourselves here soon enough. Um, it's not just a Gospel for the Gentiles. It's just kind of a Gospel for all the socially marginalized in Palestine at this time. Uh, Luke's gospel also really raises up women. Uh, the first two chapters, the main stars are Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Um, uh, when Jesus is presented at the temple, uh, uh, there, there's a prophetess there named Anna, you know, who, who, who prophesies about who Jesus was going to become and what he would be. Uh, so the first two chapter, chapters are heavily emphasizing women's roles in the kingdom of God. Uniquely found in the Gospel of Luke are the widow of Nain, uh, the sinful woman, and Simon, of course, Mary and Martha, uh, and Mary of Magdalene, and a little bit of her background. Uh, and, and what's interesting is, is if, Luke, if Luke was from Macedonia, uh, Macedonia was a place that uh, had many women's rights. It was kind of progressive in its day. And so Luke would have understood the, the power of, of women and that they were made in God's image. He would have wanted to emphasize that uh, in his writings, perhaps, um, and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And so, so Luke's gospel is a great reminder, sisters, amen, of the power and strength of women. And this will hopefully be a great uh, kind of prelude to the Women's Day that's coming up on March 4th. So I'm plugging that as well with the Gospel of Luke in mind. So sisters, get ready about that. I know the women are planning for that and it's coming around the corner. Uh, but just, just people who are considered socially and religiously outcast are loved and helped over and over by Jesus. Uh, Simon and the Simple Woman in chapter 7, uh, the, the most probably famous parable about this, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, shows up in chapter 10. Uh, another famous parable about this idea, the parable of the prodigal son, right in Luke 15. Uh, and even Jesus saving the penitent thief is only recorded in Luke's gospel uh, in chapter 23. Uh, lastly, it's a gospel that promotes the poor. Uh, the poor are lifted up as well by Luke. Uh, in Matthew's uh, account of Jesus' Beatitudes, 
Uh, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But Luke's version says, blessed are the poor, for they will see uh, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, a very unique parable to Luke's gospel, again, that's very famous, is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, in Luke 16, again, displaying this great hope for the poor uh, through Jesus. Uh, and we've been talking as a church about doing more for the poor. Uh, I've heard it said multiple times since I've been here. Uh, getting more hope projects going and even a local hope project going here. And hopefully Luke's gospel will give us that motivation and that inspiration to actually make those things happen. Uh, you know, even during Christmas. You know, thinking about th- those who are in need and visiting, you know, nursing homes and things like that. Are a gr- it's a great opportunity for us as we jump into Luke uh, to do just that. Racism, socialism, sexism are age-old problems, right, that still exist today. And Luke's gospel, it shines a light on those problems, the light of the world, right, uh, that has come to break those dark barriers down. And Luke's gospel is a great reminder, uh, the power of, of God's love to break through those barriers and to help, help all of us uh, to know God and to know His love. Uh, I love uh, one, of the, one of the sections in Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus, uh, He gives this great picture of the kingdom of God. And I think it to me it kind of epitomizes this heart that, that, that God has that comes out in Luke's gospel. In Luke 13 verse 29, uh, Luke records Jesus saying, People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. And so Luke makes it clear, you know, everyone is welcome at God's table. Everyone is welcome at God's table. Uh, where they come from, who they are, their cultural background, it matters not. Because uh, that is the God uh, that loves everyone and everything. Uh, you know, we need to allow uh, this light and love of Jesus to grow and increase in us. And I think that's the challenge as we study Luke, is, is we'll be challenged to, to have this love in our hearts and have this love in our lives uh, as we reach out uh, to others. Uh, the world is still in, in desperate need of, of that kind of love. Uh, you know, it's been interesting when you look back on 2016, just the... The, the, the political strife, the U.S. election epitomized it. I'm sad to say about my own people. Um, you know, but even the Brexit vote in some ways and, and, what, and the, the migrant crisis that's going on in Europe. And, you know, what, what are the, the foundations of, of, of these things oftentimes, not to get into politics, but it's, 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 it's mistrust and it's, it's hate uh, and it's prejudice. It's, it's all these barriers, right, uh, that we put up in society. Uh, and Luke's gospel is, is, is a great reminder that we can bring those barriers down uh, through the love of Christ. Um, as Eugenia Price put it, God is willing to walk the earth again incarnate in us. And so as a church, I hope that we'll be challenged uh, in our discipleship. As a church, I hope we'll be inspired uh, by Christ's love to go out and be that way in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and at our workplaces. Um, and so, uh, this, this is kind of just a warm-up, right, to get us kind of ready uh, for, for, for learning this as we go through it uh, together. Uh, one commentator uh, spoke of these first four verses. He said, it's like the porch to a great castle, covered in ornate carving, suggesting the importance of what lies beyond this vast entrance, which is high enough for a double-decker bus to be driven through it. And so as we enter Luke through these first four verses, I think one kind of big word, big idea stands out to me uh, as we close out our time here. uh, And that is uh, this idea of certainty. Uh, Luke says at the end of this introduction, in verse 4, he says he wrote this to, he investigated himself, he wrote it down, he talked to the eyewitnesses. For you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been 
taught. You know, we, we like certainty. We, we, we like to feel confident. We like to feel secure. We like to feel sure of things that really matter. You know, for me, when I have something really important, I double-check the alarm. I make sure my ringer's on, you know, and then I do it again, you know, ten minutes later because I, I don't want to miss getting up to be on time for whatever, you know, that may be. Uh, and Luke says, you know, he, he wanted to emphasize the certainty, the certainty of the gospel. And so that's what we'll get to do as we dive into this uh, as a church. Uh, the certainty of the gospel, I think, is something that we, we often take for granted, though, in the church. And we don't realize how certain uh, the gospel really is. Uh, Luke implies this in several ways here in his introduction. Uh, In verses uh, 1 through 2, he talks about how many, he uses the word many, have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the the word. Uh, Jesus' impact historically uh, is without equal. Uh, You know, uh, Luke records... uh, the, the Gospel of Luke, and he records the book of Acts. Um, and in the book of Acts, he says, 50 days after Passover was the, was the festival of Pentecost. And that's when Peter stands up. Just 50 days after Jesus has been crucified, in the very city he's crucified, Peter stands up and proclaims this Jesus whom they crucified, crucified has been raised again. And so there is great certainty in the apostles. There was not certainty, you know, as Jesus was arrested, and as he was on trial, they ran and fled. But but 50 days later, they have this certainty in them. So much so that they're proclaiming uh, that this Jesus whom they crucified was raised again, putting their, very, their own very necks on the line, right, uh, in the meantime. But it was because they were so certain that that had happened, that they had to share it uh, with the Jews uh, in that day. And Luke says that this, this story had such an impact that many, many had tried to, to, to make an account of the facts and the events that had transpired since then. We know uh, Jesus, uh, he had such an impact in his day. He shows up in Roman writings historically. And he also shows up in Jewish writings uh, historically. Uh, and so Jesus had a real impact. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses uh, 1 through 8, he, he speaks of Jesus' resurrection and he speaks of the, the gospel that has saved them. Uh, and he re- refers to uh, this gospel being revealed and these truths being revealed to, to, Paul, uh, to Peter and then to the twelve. And he says, and after that, he says, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And I've emphasized that uh, under, by underlining it. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Uh, and so Paul says, you know, we're, we're so certain of it. And, and 1 Corinthians 15 was written just about 20 years after uh, the book of uh, Acts begins. Um, Paul says 20 years after Acts starts, he says, we're so certain there are still over 500 eyewitnesses uh, of the resurrected Christ that you can go talk to today if you're not sure about what happened. So there are many, many eyewitnesses, he says, uh, you know, of the resurrected Christ as well in his day. And so what we're about to study uh, hopefully will give us more and more certainty of what Luke discovered so that we too uh, can be certain of the gospel as we go out there and live our lives day in and day out. And so he records this, 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 this certainty um, uh, through this idea of, of Jesus had a real impact in Palestine in his day. Uh, through the eyewitnesses and through the accounts that would come through the apostles. Uh, he also talks about this idea of fulfillment. He also talks about this idea of fulfillment. He says that these things have been fulfilled in chapter 1, verse 1, among us. Fulfillment is an interesting uh, word here. Uh, what is he referring to? Um, well, ultimately, um, he's referring to the, the, the uh, prophecies uh, that the New Testament uh, records. Um, and Luke actually ends his gospel. 
uh, in chapter 24, uh, on, he has two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, right? Uh, and they're recalling the events that have taken place. And this is just now as Jesus starts to appear in his resurrected form to the early disciples. And these two disciples evidently haven't seen the resurrected Christ yet. And he walks up on the long, road along with them and starts speaking to them, right? Uh, in Luke 24, verse 25, uh, after he speaks to them and they tell, tell him of what has happened... Uh, this is the resurrected Christ saying to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Jesus asked them. And then it says, In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then he goes on uh, in chapter 24, verse 44. This is what I told you. Now this is Jesus speaking again. While I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And so Jesus, Jesus even predicted his own fulfillment. He, he, said, he, he told his disciples that he would fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. He himself predicted that before he even did it. Uh, and so it's, it's mind-blowing uh, to think about the fact that Jesus not only fulfilled in the Old Testament Prophecies, scholars say he fulfilled about 300 of the Old Testament prophecies uh, about the, the Messiah. Um, but Jesus not only fulfilled it, he predicted that he would fulfill it. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. And so Luke, Luke, as he's investigating these things, he's just, he's just more and more sure uh, of what has transpired. The, deep, the, the more he dives into it, he was a doctor, right? He was a logical person. Um, and it's quite interesting when you go through uh, these prophecies. We won't do it tonight. We don't have time, obviously. Um, but the odds of Christ fulfilling just eight prophecies is astronomical. It's one to the, ten in the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros uh, behind it. How, how, do they, how do they calculate this? Well, odds, odds are interesting things. Uh, for example, if 1 in 10 people is bald and one in, 10, 1 in 100 people are left-handed, you would take the 10 times the 100. So 1 in 1,000 are bald and left-handed in a population you know, kind of study. Does that make sense? So, so, so for example, being struck by lightning in a year, uh, the, the odds of that are 1 in 700,000. Being killed by lightning in a year, is, is the odds of that are 1 in 2 million. Uh, so the probability of being bald and left-handed and struck by lightning and dying is 1 in 2 billion, if that, if that makes sense. So the, the more you, you, you string it out, the more the odds get greater and greater and greater because they're less and less likely to occur. And so they did this with Jesus' prophecies. Uh, and, and, and this uh, guy, uh, Peter Stoner, uh, who has his Ph.D., um, he wrote a book called Science Speaks. And he looked at this idea of just, just eight of, of the 300 prophecies that pertain to Jesus being fulfilled. And he was the one who came up with this mathematical formula that it would, it, the odds of that being, just eight of these being fulfilled in one man's life is one in ten to the 17th power. Uh, and so you can't, you can't really visualize that, right? And, uh, but it's pretty blow away when you think about it, you know? And, and, and again, not just that Jesus did that, but he told his disciples he would do that. That's some certainty there. And a lot of times as Christians, we take for granted uh, just the certainty that we have in the truths that the gospel uh, bring to us uh, as we read and, and study it. Hopefully we'll get more certain of the things that the gospel proclaims about Jesus. And the more certain we are, the more likely we are to share this and to proclaim this uh, to those around us. Um, and so it's just exciting when you think about those things. Uh, you know, the certainty of, of, of Luke's gospel, um, it also stands out in the fact that Luke was a doctor. 
Uh, as I said, he was not, he was not, you know, he wasn't, he, he wasn't just a guy who just kind of went on his feelings and went on what he thought was true. If he was a doctor, he had a scientific method to his practice. He had a scientific method uh, to his life. And so again, his gospel uh, can give us greater certainty just by knowing his background uh, as a person. Uh, one commentary I read said he wasn't careless, referring to Luke, in what he wrote about Christ. He checked upon his reporters. He went to other eyewitnesses, as he says here, right, uh, in verse 2. Um, and questioned them. He wasn't hasty in his work. He was patient in that investigation is what gives integrity to his narrative. And so Luke was eager, right, to encourage just the opposite of a blind leap of faith. In other words, he, he was trying to make sure you had a, an understanding and a clarity and a certainty to have faith in Jesus being uh, the Son of God. And again, as he's writing to a non-Jewish mindset... Uh, a non-Jewish mindset is going to go much more on logic than history. Uh, and so Luke's gospel, again, I think uh, is very relevant to the way we think today and the way we approach things today and the way we even b- believe uh, and build faith uh, in this day. Uh, and, and in Acts chapter 1, um, Luke, in his other volume, he actually says this of this convincing certainty that Jesus gave to his uh, early apostles. In Acts 1.3, he says, After his suffering, referring to Jesus, he presented himself to them, the, the apostles and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. You know, here's Jesus. He's resurrected. He's fulfilled his duty. Heaven is waiting, but he waits around for 40 days, you know, to convince thoroughly the apostles of his resurrection and fulfillment of the scriptures. Uh, Paul will go on uh, in Acts uh, 26, verses 24 to 26, speaking to King Agrippa. He says, what I am saying is true and reasonable, referring to uh, the gospel. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. And so Luke's gospel, and how it was put together, and what it still says today, gives us great certainty of the truths of the gospel message. Uh, The gospel's impact, fulfillment, and careful presentation can and will be seen as we study Luke's account. And it will hopefully give us more and more certainty. More and more certainty in our faith. Um, As we close out here, uh, this idea of certainty I think is very uh, important. And I want you to really uh, understand it and and get excited about that coming in your lives more and more as Christians. And even if you don't believe that, hopefully Luke's gospel uh, will convince you too to believe. Another way to translate certainty uh, could be uh, security or safety or stability. Um, uh, The Greek word uh, where we get certainty here, um, it's asphaleia. It's asphaleia. And and it can mean lots lots of different things. Um, It only shows up two more times uh, in the New Testament. It shows up in Acts 5.23. Luke again uses it to refer to the, the the jails of the door being securely locked. So locked. Uh, again, it shows up in Paul's writings in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verse 3. He talks about peace and safety. It shows up there uh, as the word safety. Um, and so uh, it shows up 19 times in the Old Testament Greek version, the Septuagint. And it always is usually translated there as safety. Uh, and so another way of, of certainty uh, could be the idea that you know the gospel is, is, is locked down. It's secure. It's unshakable. It's solid. It's stable. It's immovable. Uh, and the reality of the things uh, that we have been taught in the gospel are just that. Uh, and so Luke is saying here uh, in this introduction, the gospel is safe from being stolen, you know, safe from being changed, safe from ceasing to be what it is, safe, safe from becoming unimportant or irrelevant. 
Uh, these things, Theophilus, he says, will always be uh, here in, uh, in, his, in his introduction. Um, I was uh, uh, hanging out with uh, Eva one day, my youngest daughter, uh, in the car. And uh, she, she says, Dad, what, what are clouds made of? And I thought, okay, how am I going to explain this to her? Clouds are made of gas, you know. And, and, and she said, well, I said, well, what, what do you mean? She says, well, well can, can, you, can you sit on clouds? Can you climb clouds? And she was looking up at the sky while we are having this conversation in, in, in the car. And uh, I said, oh, no, you know, and I tried to explain to her they're gas, and it's a different form of, you know, it's water vapor. And, but, I, just, you know, it, it went over her head. But she says, oh, okay, so you can't sit on clouds. I said, yeah, no, you can't, you can't sit on clouds. That's right. And, uh, and I think sometimes as Christians, we, we make the gospel truths out like they're the clouds in the sky. It looks solid, it looks, it looks sturdy, but if you really dive into it, there, you know, there, there's a lot of mystery. It's not, it's not really certain. It's not, it's not really clear. But, but really the gospel is more like a mountain. It's not going anywhere. It's, it's not, it's not going to change. It's there one year, it's there the next year. You know, it, it, it's sturdy, it's solid, it's, it's not going anywhere. Uh, but I think we, we in our emotions and we in our doubt, we, we mix the clouds in with the mountains. You know, we, we oftentimes approach the gospel this way in our struggle, in our doubt, in our ups and downs in life. But, but you know, Luke is saying, no, 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 the gospel's not like that at all. The gospel, it's, it's always this. It, it's always rock solid. It's stable. It's locked. It's secure. It's safe. There's no way anything's ever going to change it. It's unshakable. And as Christians, we've got to make sure that we're, we're, we're certain of the gospel more than anything else. It's easy to, to get certain of our, our self-righteousness, right? It's easy to get certain of our, our methodologies. It's easy to get certain of, of certain personalities and leaders, but those things are here today and gone tomorrow. We all know that if we've been around a little while in the church. But the one thing in the church that is always certain is the gospel. It's not going to change because it's unshakable. There, there's nothing that anyone or any man or any organization can do to change the certainty of the gospel. And so as a church, you know, hopefully our faith will grow. Our zeal will increase. Our numbers will increase as we understand more and more the certainty of the gospel. The asphalea of the gospel is so important for us to grasp. If you're not a Christian uh, tonight, I'm glad you're here. And my question for you would be, what, what are you certain of in this life? Becoming a Christian, uh, more than anything, is being certain simply of who Jesus is and why he died. Uh, and hopefully, as we study the Gospel of Luke, you can, you can grow in your faith and your certainty of who Jesus was and what he has done for you. Uh, becoming a Christian is not a leap into the dark if Jesus is the light of the world. And if you're visiting with us, I want to encourage you to, to take a four-Sunday challenge. Come with us four Sundays in a row. Dive into the Gospel of Luke. Read it on your own and see if you don't have more certainty that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And once you get that certainty, you can become a Christian and your life will be changed forevermore. And so church, friends, visiting as we uh, enter into Luke, the most beautiful story ever told. May the asphalia of the gospel, the lockdown, unshakable, unchanging, absolute secure reality of the gospel, bless and change us all. And so, so let's get excited. Let's be ready to change and grow together through the gospel of Luke. And the Birmingham Church of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.
Do you want that or Kenny? Yeah. Kenny no, or you? Yeah, Kenny. Thanks. 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 Thanks.